0: Welcome to the Lompoc Foursquare Churches podcast. Enjoy the message. We are in the book of Galatians. If you weren't with us last week, that's okay. We're going to catch you up. We are walking through Paul's letter to the churches in southern Galatia, uh, modern day Turkey. And if you and I were to sit down with the Apostle Paul and go, Paul, I want to ask you a question. What's Christianity about? He would say, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Just like that. Now, Paul had planted a number of churches in this area, and he said, this is the foundational truth. If you need to strip everything else away and say, why do we follow Jesus, and how do we become a part of his family, he would say, this is it right here. It's not a matter, he would say, of who you vote for. It wouldn't be a matter of how you worship, how loud or quiet, drums or note. I had somebody I went to Bible college with who said they could not worship if drums were played because drums were of the devil. Stinks to be you, okay, but how do we become part of this family? They'd say, oh, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father had planned. It's not a matter of whether you subscribe to the, whole, uh, the common book of prayer. These things are all ancillary. They're all secondary. What matters and what alone matters to becoming part of the family of God is that Jesus gave his life for our sins, as the Father had planned, as he had promised to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Now, that's, that was the foundational truth that Paul founded this church on. But these men came down from Jerusalem, and they said, hey, funny story, Um, Paul's not really an apostle. An apostle, we learned last week, is someone who was sent, commissioned directly by Jesus. And they said, no, no, no. Paul got his message from the apostles in Jerusalem, and he got it wrong. So we are here to set the record straight. In order to become part of the family of God, yes, Jesus is important, but you also have to become Jewish. There are a a system of rules and regulations that you are going to have to follow. You're going to have to stop being like you and stop start being like us if you want to belong to the family of God. Now, this was creating both confusion and division in the church. And here's what Paul had to say about that. Verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 1, he says, I'm shocked. And we learned last week that's the, that's the same word used to describe Jesus' miracles, right? He's like, I am amazed that you're turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way, and it pretends to be the gospel, pretends to be the good news, but it's not good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning concerning Christ. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon. The, the, the verb tense, Paul is saying, I am shocked that you are in the process of turning away. So he is bringing a word of both encouragement and correction. He's not saying, listen, you're so far out of bounds that you're never coming back. But he's saying, you've gotten hold of a lie, and the lie that you were holding on to is beginning to turn you away, not simply from my message, but from God himself. This is the awesome thing. When you and I get off track, if we start going down the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit is always present to help us recalibrate, to help us get refocused and set on the right direction. So Paul loves this church, and, and he is like Waze right now going redirecting route. like boys, girls, back this way. And he says you're deserting God because you're prioritizing people over God. You are Turning away from God because you are following the teaching, you are giving authority to men who should not have that authority, and you are choosing to walk into bondage and out of freedom. Whenever we begin to be tempted in our hearing to follow people who are teaching a Jesus and message, we are walking out of freedom and into bondage. So if our practice is to listen to people, I mean, I love podcasts, I love YouTube, but can I just say, as your friend, will you please check your sources? Because if what you are watching or who you are listening to are preaching a Jesus and gospel, they are actually going to lead you away from freedom into bondage. If you need to follow Jesus and vote this way, if you need to follow Jesus and and, and sing this way, if you need to follow Jesus and dress this way, if you need to follow Jesus and anything else in order to feel that you belong to the family of God, that is a sign that you are following a teaching that is not the core gospel, which is Jesus gave his life for our sins as God had planned to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Paul is just drilling and drilling and drilling back to, guys, it's about Jesus, it's about his love for you, and it's about what he did for you. It is not what you are doing for him, it is not what you are earning, and it is not what you deserve. Jesus gave his life for our sins. That's the core message. And when you add to the message, Paul says they're twisting it. The Greek word actually means they're reversing it. They're they're taking the gospel message and they're putting it out of order. What does that mean? Well, it means we're saved by grace through faith, not of our own works, lest anyone should boast. But James would say, if you have faith, if you follow Jesus, if you believe in him, but there is not a corresponding outflow of good works, then your faith is dead. They're saying, you need to do a lot of really good works being super Jewish, and then Jesus will come alongside recognizing your good works, and save you. They are reversing it. And anytime time the impetus or the emphasis on the story of God puts us at the center instead of Jesus, we're off track. Even our testimony, we're going to get to that in a minute, Jesus is the central focus of our testimony. It's my story about Jesus or the story of Jesus working in me. It's not my story and Jesus hung out and kind of came along for the ride.
1: I'm off track, but
0: I'm having fun. They were teaching essentially instead of that core repentance message where we look at Jesus and say, I'm wrong and you're right, we're supposed to look at Jesus and say, I'm wrong, but I'm working on it. I'm going to clean myself up, and then we can hang out. And that's not the gospel message. So let's, let's look at the part we didn't read. We're just going to keep walking through this book together. So I'm going to read a large chunk of scripture, so, so buckle up. Stay with me. It will be on the screen. You can follow. And then we're going to go through in two or three verse segments. Okay, so this is picking up in verse 11. Remember, people are saying, first of all, that Paul's not an apostle, that he is a second-hand apostle from the guys in Jerusalem, and the message he heard he got wrong. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I didn't rush out to consult any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. I stayed with him for 15 days, Only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, they didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Still with me? All right, let's break it down. Let's go a couple verses at a time. So back to verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on human reasoning. I love that Paul begins by saying, dear brothers and sisters, because Paul is in the middle of a major theological disagreement. We get deeper into Galatians, and we find out Paul isn't a little upset. I don't know what the Hebrew word is for super ticked and ready to fight, but that's what Paul is. I mean, he is super hot under the collar, but he begins this section with dear brothers and sisters, because disagreement, church, does not disqualify us from God's family. Let me say that to you again. Disagreement does not disqualify us from God's family. There has to be room in our hearts for people in our family who see things differently than we do. Sameness is not a prerequisite for belonging. Do any of you have someone in your biological family who sees the world differently than you do? Are you married to them, perhaps? When you have a disagreement, when you see the world differently, you don't go, well, I'm moving out today because clearly we can't be family. Jesus tells us that we have to love our enemies. So if we have to love our enemies, we definitely have to love our family. Now, I know every family and every church family has a crazy Aunt Edna. And we have to love crazy Aunt Edna. And if you're sitting here going, well, our church doesn't have a crazy Aunt Edna, it's probably you. But it's okay because we love you deeply and desperately. In a healthy church, when disagreements arise, we will talk to each other. We will not talk about each other. That's why Paul is reaching out to the churches in Galatia. He's not writing to the church in Corinth going, have you heard what the Galatians are doing? They are outside their minds right now. They are trying to be Jewish. He's not doing that. He is reaching out to the people who he loves, with whom he disagrees, to have a healthy conversation. I have a friend here at LFC, and there are passages of Scripture that we read together and we don't agree. He sees these parts of Scripture very differently than I do. And so how do we handle that? We talk, and we listen, and we learn together. And he, he called me one day and he said, uh, Pastor John, I'm, I'm leading a Bible study, and, and you know you and I are still kind of working out our common ground on this passage, and and we're getting to that passage in our group. What do you want me to do? I don't want to contribute to disunity. unity. I, I want people to know we're unified, but, but I can't say that I see something in there that I don't see. I'm stuck. What do you want me to do? I said, buddy, tell him we don't agree. And tell him that we talked and that we still love each other and we love Jesus. It's okay to see the world differently. And yet, to still be fundamentally committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he died for our sins to save us according to God's plan to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. We can disagree as long as we come back to our foundational, like this is, this is the DNA that makes us family. Jesus died for our sins. Now, here's what that was not. That was not an invitation for you to blow up my inbox with everything I have ever said that you disagree with unless, like my friend, you are willing to sit down with me and show me from the scriptures how you have come to the conclusion that you've come to. Fair? Thank you. You too. So he says, dear brothers and sisters, and then he says this gospel that I preach, and we we know what that gospel is. The gospel he preaches is that Jesus died for our sins as the Father planned to rescue us from the evil world in which we, we now live. Now, This is really important to Pauline theology. This is really important to Paul's understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. Paul would say to you that God's rescue begins when we are born again, not when we die, okay? So eternal life is not something in Paul's thinking that happens when I die and go to heaven, I now live eternally. Eternal life in Paul's writing is interactive relationship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And that begins, the rescue, the saving begins the moment we surrender our lives to Christ. Because when we surrender our lives to Christ, as Pastor Caden said this morning, we're acknowledging a new kingship, the kingship of Jesus Christ, and living our lives under His rule, which means we are no longer bound by sin, by guilt, by shame, by condemnation. Jesus said, it is for freedom that you, well, actually, it was Paul. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Our rescue begins today. And so when we are born again, when we become part of his family, doors open up for us to experience the presence of God and to be the presence of God wherever we live, work, or play. The limitations that we used to live under are permanently lifted. So, if your idea growing up, or maybe even this morning of being a Christian, means I'm going to surrender my life to Christ, I'm going to sit really still, hoping nothing bad happens, and then someday things are going to get good when I'm in heaven forever, you are missing out on a lot. Rescue begins today, freedom begins today, eternal life begins today. We have the grace of God the power of God working in us today. Then he says, this gospel I preach that we've been rescued is not based on human reasoning. This is Paul saying, look, no one in their right mind would ever make this stuff up. I didn't sit down one day and try to construct a really interesting philosophy or theology and tell people this is how you should live your life. Matter of fact, Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who were perishing. Like, they laugh at it. But to us who is being saved, it's the power of God. This is not something that you can make up. God died that you could live. Every other world religion puts the responsibility on humanity to work their way to to appease, to pacify their idea of God so that you might have some sort of relationship with him, tenuous though it may be. The message of the Gospels is that God himself, because of his unending and abounding love for you, stepped out of heaven itself, took upon human form, lived in this earth for 33 and a half years, and then went to the cross and died on our behalf. This is why people were looking at Paul going, you're nuts. That doesn't happen. Why would they say that? Because in the Greco-Roman world, all of these other religions preached an antithetic, an opposite gospel. And then he finishes by saying, I received this message directly from God. This, this is how I got it. And if you want to read that story, I don't have time to tell you the whole thing. I'll give you the bullet points. Acts chapter 9. Paul, a Pharisee, a disciple of Gamaliel, who is one of the greatest rabbis of that time, is so committed to stamping out Christianity that he is murdering Christians. He is arresting them, he is throwing them into jail, and he is voting for a death penalty. And he has a letter from the Jewish leaders in the temple, and he's on his way to a town called Damascus. And one day, as he's walking down the road to Damascus to kill Christians, Jesus appears to him. A bright light and a voice saying, Saul, which was his name before it became Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. Long story short, Paul goes blind. They lead him by the hand into Damascus. God appears to a man named Ananias and says, hey, over on State, State, uh, Straight Street, not State Street, that'd be a cool story. Yeah, Paul the Apostle from Santa Barbara. He says, over on, on Straight Street, there was a man named Paul, Saul. I want you to go pray for him. And Ananias, this is what I love about Scripture. He looks at God and goes, um, do you know who that is? Read it, Acts chapter 9. Have you heard about this guy? I mean, he's killing us. And Jesus says, I have appointed him, I have called him to be a light to the Gentiles. Ananias goes, lays hands on him, scales fall from his eyes, Saul can see, and he becomes not only a Christ follower, but a world changer. So then Paul goes on. This is, this is, where, this is, this is our application for this morning, so, so stay with me. Paul is going to start to tell his God story. And he provides for you and me a template about how to tell our God story. There are three points to your God story. If you don't want to call it God story, you want to sound a little more churchy, you can call it your testimony. That's the church word, that's the Bible word. And your testimony has power. Jesus said that In the book of Revelations, he said, the enemy, our adversary, was overcome by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did, the word of our testimony, and because we didn't love our lives even unto death, meaning we were all in for Jesus, whatever it required. So the testimony, the telling of our God story, is super important. And Paul Paul will point out there are three specific stages in telling our God story. Your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what your life has looked like with Jesus, Okay? Your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, what your life has looked like with Jesus. Who's the hero of that story? Thank you. This is super, super, super important. This is not the story of self-discipline. This is not the story of making better decisions. This is the story of the transformative nature of the Savior of the world and how he has engaged with us. It's your story, but it points to Jesus. So Paul starts to tell his story. Verse 13, he goes, hey, listen, you know what I was like. This is my story before Jesus. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish tradition, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. So Paul, he's appealing to common knowledge when he says, you know what I was like. And when you read... His story before Felix in Acts 22, he says, this is, these are his own words. This is his story. I persecuted followers of the way. That's what early Christians were known as. Hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, because I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. Chapter 26. I used to believe my life before Jesus. I used to believe I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. That phrase, Paul is saying, I tortured people in the synagogue trying to get them to renounce Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. This is Paul before Jesus, before he got saved. I stood out among my peers in my love and devotion to the law of Moses. I was a Pharisee, he will say elsewhere, of Pharisees. The subtext is, listen, guys. I was a better Pharisee than the people who are coming down and lying to you right now. I get what they're up to. I get what they're about. I was all in all the way to the point where I was a murderer and I persecuted God's people. I was fully, completely, totally dedicated to crushing this Christian movement.
1: This is my life before Jesus. What was your life like before Jesus? Do you, do you remember? How do
0: you feel about telling that part of your story? I mean, Paul owns it. He just lays it all out there. But for some of us, revisiting our pre-Jesus story, we get embarrassed or we get ashamed. And we want to pretend, because we're embarrassed or regretting or ashamed, that we've always been cleaned up looking as good as we do now. But the reason Paul begins with his story before Jesus is because the gospel is an act of transformation. And if we are ashamed to share our pre-Jesus story, we are not giving people who are pre-Jesus now hope for a different future. They just go, I can't go to that church because those people all have it figured out. One, no we don't. Two, if you knew us before, he even did a little bit of the cleanup that you see now, you would understand that this is not a gospel that we follow through works because you cannot experience transformation outside of the miraculous grace of God. The bad part of your story, the pre-Jesus part of your story, the part of your story you would like to pretend isn't really part of your story is critical, church, to your story. Because if you leave that part of your story out, everything else that happens you could have done on your own. I started going to church. I started giving 10%. I started hanging out with better people.
1: Listen. No.
0: God himself reached down into your brokenness as he did with Paul and made a murderer a martyr. You hear me? If you don't know how Paul's story
1: ends, that's how Paul's story ends. And he went willingly. All right. Did that. Got to do this. Okay. You with me? All right, here we go. Your story before Jesus.
0: Second part. How I met Jesus. Now, Paul had a pretty killer story about how I met Jesus. I haven't met a lot of people who were like, you know what, I had an M16, I was on my way to take out a church, and this is the story, right? Sorry if that's like striking too close to home in this present day and age. This is exactly what is happening. I was locked and loaded, ready to wipe out a church, and God showed up. My story isn't quite that dynamic, but my story is a story of transformation. So how does Paul tell the story? Even before I was born, hard to take credit, church, for something that happened before you were born. So if you want to deconstruct this, you did it your way, go back to this verse. Even before I was born, God chose me, and he called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. What is Paul saying? First thing, right out of the gate, God did it. I'm telling you my story, but this is a God story. God did it. He chose me. He called me. He reached out to me when I was far from him. He showed up on a dirt road on the way between Jerusalem and Damascus. For me, Jesus showed up in an upper room in Newport Beach when I was surrounded by a bunch of other freshmen and sophomores from college. And asked me, are you ready to stop running? Are you ready to stop trying to do it at your, where were you when Jesus called you? He says, God called me. God did it. Then he said, by grace. What does that mean? That something supernatural has happened. Church in Galatia, you've heard my story. Only God could change a heart like this. When you and I tell our story, when we think about our story, is it a story where we are the center or where Jesus is the center? Can we take credit for what has happened, or must we give credit to Jesus? Because Scripture says, and this is the testimony of Paul's life, that when we're born again, we receive a new heart. We receive a new mind. We receive a new will. I can't discipline myself into any of those things. But when the Spirit of God comes to rest upon a woman or a man, there is a work of transformation so deep that the only word to describe it is new. Scripture does not say if anyone is in Christ, they are a better creation. If anyone is in Christ, they've gotten a little cleaned up. It says, listen, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, you are new. And if you're not sure what new means, it means not that, this, not the old, the new. And then you and I do get to discipline ourselves and practice living into the new us. So by grace, through Christ, that was God's plan all along. Scripture says there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as the Father had planned to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Paul is saying what I could not do on my own, Jesus did for me. He paid the penalty for my sins that I could not pay without dying. This is the beauty of the gospel message. You are loved and you can be made new by Christ, not by the works that you do. That was Paul's point. Jesus paid a price that you couldn't. You couldn't do it, and yet Jesus did. God did it by grace, through Christ, and then this, for others. My apostleship and my message are a direct result of my salvation. Because you're rescued when you're born again, not when you die, you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, for what have I been rescued now? What is it, God, that you intend for me to do with this salvation you have purchased for me? And then I have the backdrop of Ephesians 2.10. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone has entered into this relationship, they are a new creator. That's not it. (laughs) You are God's workmanship. That's it. I was going to get there. Created in Christ Jesus when you've been made new. For good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. Why? That you might do them. Paul is saying, my salvation experience as personal and profound as it was for me, is for something bigger than me. In his case, it's to be a light to the Gentiles. And then he said, for others and for his glory. That we don't get to until verse 24, but take my word for it. My story is not meant to point people to me. My story is meant to point people to Jesus. With me?
1: Okay? How did you meet Jesus? Where were you? How did he call you? How did you respond? What change did that produce?
0: That story is life-giving. And the telling of that story is meant to bring glory to God and freedom to others. And then I just, I'm going to close with this real quick, but the third part is Paul's Paul's life with Jesus. Right? So it's my story before Jesus, how I met Jesus, what my life is like with Jesus. And Paul says in verse 16, he says, Listen, when this happened, when I was born again, I didn't rush out to consult any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Why is this an important part of Paul's story? Because Paul's entire life, up to this point, had been to elevate himself in the center of religious power in the Jewish faith. And the epicenter of religious power for the Jewish faith was in the temple in Jerusalem. And now, this burgeoning, this emerging Jesus movement also has a center of authority, and it's found where? In Jerusalem. Wasn't a trick question. You guys are doing good. He said, I didn't go back to the center of power. As a matter of fact, I spent three years. That's how long he was gone. I got saved. I went out to in Arabia for three years to grow in my relationship with Jesus, my understanding of Jesus. Some scholars have said the disciples had three years, so Paul needed three years. So God just sent him out to Arabia for three years. But the subtext is, guys, God changed my heart. I went from being a somebody Gamaliel's star pupil, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, to nobody. God gave me new priorities. I didn't need to promote myself any longer. I was content to sit and listen about where God wanted me. And the thing that would have just freaked everybody out is like, oh, and by the way, I suddenly found I had a heart for the Gentiles. Jews don't have hearts for Gentiles. And Jewish religious leaders? really don't have hearts for the Gentiles. This is not just a defense of his apostleship. This is a story of transformation. Here's how I was before Jesus. Here's how I met him. Here's how God changed my heart. Here's how God changed my focus, my priorities, my sense of self-worth. Fill in the blank. These are not the results of good works. This is only something that can be done by the grace of God. This is the power of your testimony, of your God's story. There are things that you have experienced in your walk with God that only you know, and only you can describe, and only you fully understand. But as you begin to tell that story, I was lost and I'm found, I was broken, and I was whole, I was ashamed, I was forgiven, I was lonely, I have a family. Whatever that part of your story is, When you courageously share that part of your story, the Spirit of God comes to rest on the conversation that you are having and uses the power of your story, your testimony, in the words of Revelation, to break the power of hell that would keep people in bondage and to bring them to freedom in Jesus. Whose story? Your
1: story. Because no one is
0: an expert on your story, except for you. And when you begin to talk about what Jesus has done in a way that points to Jesus, even in your current pain and even in your current brokenness, maybe it's a story of hope that what God has done once, he will do again. It brings people to Jesus.
1: Last part of this passage, we'll close with this. Let me just quickly
0: say, I touched on this earlier, that that Paul is making a very profound point that this transformation, this salvation is not a matter of works. It's only the grace of God. Paul's entire life from the moment of salvation on was a series of good and greater works. Paul is not saying, rest on the grace of God and do nothing. What Paul is saying is realize what God has done for you. Rejoice in the way he has saved you, and let that appreciation and the love that arises out of that revisiting propel you, compel you to reach people on his behalf. Three years later, he says, I went to Jerusalem. This is verse 18 to get to know Peter. I stayed with him for 15 days. We had a sleepover. It was awesome. The only other apostle I met at that time was James. He was the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. We hadn't met. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is the power of your story when Jesus is the center of the story. It brings freedom, it brings healing, and it brings life. Both the good parts of your story and the painful parts of your story. When people ask me what I was like when, before I came to Jesus, I don't go, I was awesome. Jesus made me kind of better. The word that describes my sense of self before I surrendered my life to Christ was a wretch. That, that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, Saved a Wretch Like Me, was pivotal in my salvation experience. Because as people around me were singing that song, I went, that's me. And Jesus, if you've got room in your family for a wretch, like if you'll take me in my brokenness, my sinfulness, my grossness, I'm in. I'm in. And the Spirit of God met me in that moment like he has only met me maybe three other times in my entire life. And chains that I walked with for decades were broken. like I could see differently, I could breathe differently, I could stand up straight because I had stepped under the reign of a different king. And any other authority that would try to exert control or influence over me was broken in that moment.
1: If I want to bring people
0: to Jesus, i got to tell them the Scuzzy John stories. And if you want to really appreciate what God has done for you, you you look pretty good when you look in the mirror. I'm not denying it. But if you really want to appreciate the fullness of what God has done, sometimes you just got to think back to the way I was, not the way I like to remember myself, the way I really was before I met Jesus. And then tell your story, your life before Jesus, how you met Jesus, what your life has looked like since you've met Jesus. This is is both our challenge and our opportunity this week. I am praying for you that God gives you an opportunity and the courage alongside of it to tell your story. Not what you know. People will argue about what you know. That's not true. They can't argue with your story. It's your story. That's why it's so powerful. I want to pray for you. and As I pray for you in our church and our community, I'm just praying that the story of God would go forth from this place as you carry his presence everywhere you go and that you get to experience the joy of watching the Holy Spirit of God use your story to bring life to someone who is broken. Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you for the way that you met us and you meet us. Thank you that you have not left us in our brokenness, but you met us there with an act of transformation, regeneration, making us new. Thank you, God, that that the dark parts of our stories don't discount the light in which we walk in now. The painful, the broken parts of a story are testimony to your power and your greatness because only you could do What you've done. Help us, Lord Jesus, to tell your story in a way that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.